The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 65 to the chief musician, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed, O you who hear prayer. To you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me for our transgressions. You will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us. O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power, you who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves and the tumult of the peoples, they also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys are also covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. Beautiful words. Simply beautiful. Okay, we are in the book of Numbers, chapter 1 still. This is Numbers 1, verses 20 through 54. It is a whole bunch of verses. It will go very quickly. There's a lot of repetition. Don't be disheartened. It's all coming to a logical conclusion, okay? Just enjoy it. And here we go. Numbers chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Now the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. From the children of Simeon, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, of those who were numbered according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. From the children of Gad, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. From the children of Judah, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. From the children of Issachar, the genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400. From the children of Zebulun, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Zebulun, were 57,400. From the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, their 
their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Ephraim were 40,500. From the children of Manasseh, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200. From the children of Benjamin, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who are numbered of the tribe of Benjamin, were 35,400. From the children of Dan, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who are numbered of the tribe of Dan, were 62,700. From the children of Asher, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Asher were 41,500. From the children of Naphtali, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Naphtali were 53,400. These are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war in Israel, all who were numbered were 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the children of Israel did, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. Our sermon verses display to us a rather vast army. To think of almost 600,000 men raising up and engaging an enemy is almost hard to imagine. That is actually about half the size of the active U.S. military today. In the Bible, there are engagements which record both larger and smaller armies. And not every soldier went out to every battle in Israel. And so we can just think of this giant number as a single force to be reckoned with at all times. The number simply records those who are of proper age and who are considered as capable of being a part of any engagement. However, with such a large number, one would think that the bravery factor would be hugely increased for the individual. It is such an attitude, though, that will assuredly lead to trouble. Because with a trust in numbers, there will inevitably be a diminishing of a trust in the Lord. The men of Israel could have deduced this simply by thinking through what the Lord has done by leaving Levi out of the census that we just read. If a portion of the men who are able-bodied are taken out of the total who are selected for war, and then that portion is told that they were to defend their charge even against their own people, it should tell them that their relationship with the Lord was still based on how they interacted with him. 
If they could not approach the Lord under the pain of death, it obviously meant that they could not expect him to be with them in battle if they had an attitude towards him which was not appropriate, even if the entire army went out against a foe. It would also mean that a small number of those who did trust the Lord would have him on their side. The rest of the Bible will bear this out. For Israel, great numbers will be defeated by small numbers. And at times, small numbers will defeat vast armies. The measure of the army is based on the arm of the Lord, and that is it. Our text verse comes from Psalm 33. It's verses 16 and 17. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. The key to understanding everything that is now being told to us comes down to understanding what God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This won't be fully evident today. Numbers has a logical progression of thought which will lead to great discoveries for us. What seems slow maybe a bit tedious and definitely hard to follow, is given to reveal great, great things. If you ask, why do I need to know all of these numbers of men and how big each tribe is and how they are to be laid out around the tabernacle, my answer to you would be, how willing are you to be patient so that we can fit it all together? Just like elsewhere, the Lord takes a lot of little information and he ties it all together into a bigger picture. Today's long list will find its perfect spot in your minds in the days ahead. For now, just enjoy the detail without getting bogged down in it. That was my job. You can listen and process. That's all you need to do. How's that? The detail is leading to a better understanding of Christ and His work. It's all to be found in His superior word. And so, let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through His word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is men of war. It's verses 20 through 46. Verse 20, now the children of Reuben. We come now to the actual record of counting those of each tribe head by head. The formula will be rather consistent for most of the tribes, but there will be a few variations in the wording at times. This counting was mandated by the Lord. It was to be through Moses and Aaron, and it was to be coordinated and led in each tribe by those mentioned in verses 5 through 16 that we saw last week. As it said in verse 4, And with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. After that, verses 17 and 18 indicated that Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name, and they assembled all the congregation together, and they recited their ancestry by families, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names. This record was only for those 20 and above. That census was conducted, and Reuben is the first to be detailed as to the totals which were recorded. He was, verse 20 continues, Israel's oldest son. Despite his low standing among the tribes, Reuben was the firstborn, and so he is reckoned first for the census. The reason for his diminished recognition was because of what he did in sleeping with his father's concubine. And having done that, he brought a permanent stain on his tribe. That is recorded in Israel's final words to this son in Genesis chapter 49. Here's what he said to him, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power 
unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Verse 20 continues their genealogies. The word is toledot. It signifies generations coming from the word yalad, a verb meaning to bear or to bring forth or to beget. In Numbers, the word will be used 12 times in this chapter and then once in verse 3-1 concerning the generations of Aaron and Moses, meaning the counting of the Levites in a different census. These recordings are done separately, and yet they will combine to give a full record of those who are considered the hosts of Israel. Together they will form a surprising and beautiful pattern. Verse 20 continues, by their families, by their father's house. As noted in the last sermon, Two distinctions are made here, first by their families and then by their father's households. The terms are somewhat changeable, but in general, they would be by clans and then by closer relationships. Verse 20 going on, according to the number of names. The names from the individual clans and houses were taken and recorded for this counting. It included, verse 20 going on, every male individually, literally skull by skull or head by head. No individual was neglected from the counting of those, verse 20 continues, from 20 years old and above. This is the age selected by the Lord as appropriate for, verse 20 going on, all who are able to go to war. These words, repeated from verse 3, explain the reason for the census. It is one of readiness for service in the Lord's army. Israel had encountered enemies already in the war with Amalek in Exodus chapter 17. They were to march towards the land of promise and enter via routes which took them along the borders of other countries who may be hostile. They were to face enemies in Canaan who were to be destroyed. And they were to be a united people prepared to defend the land granted to them. Thus accounting of the men of war was made to have them ready for any of these events as they came about. Verse 21, those who were numbered of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. Reuben's numbers are given rounded to the nearest hundred. He is the seventh largest tribe by number. Verse 22, from the children of Simeon, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, of those who are numbered according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war. The words are identical to that of Reuben, except with the addition of a single word, pakad, translated as of those who are numbered. Verse 23, those who were numbered of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. Simeon grew more than his older brother Reuben. He is the third largest tribe by number. Verse 24, from the children of Gad, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war. What? Gad? Why is Gad listed here in third position when he was 11th earlier in verse 14? The reason is because of the arrangement of the tribes around the sanctuary, which will be detailed in chapter 2. Reuben will be the lead tribe of those to the south. With him will be Simeon and Gad. The arrangement is not faulty, but it is beautifully organized. The words of this verse drop out the word pakad from the previous verse, and they also now drop out the words every male individually. The pattern of counting skull by skull has been set, and so it will no longer be repeated. Verse 25, those who were numbered of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. Gad is the only tribe that divides to a tenth rather than a hundred. 
An interesting parallel is that in the second census, which is found in Numbers 26, the tribe of Reuben will be the only tribe to do this. Both Reuben and Gad will be placed together on the south side of the tabernacle. There's something about the south side which mandates them going to tents instead of hundreds. Likewise, Reuben and Gad are the two tribes whose total land inheritance remained solely on the east side of the Jordan River. Gad is the eighth largest tribe by number. Verse 26, from the children of Judah, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Other than the name, the verse is stated exactly as verse 24. Verse 27, those who were numbered of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. Judah is the largest tribe, and it will be the head tribe of those placed east of the tabernacle, along with the next two tribes, Issachar and Zebulun. The large size of Judah is in accord with the blessing assigned by Jacob in Genesis chapter 49, granting him the preeminence. The growth of Judah is in accord with that blessing. Verse 28, from the children of Issachar, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war. Again, the wording is identical to verse 24. Verse 29, those who were numbered of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400. Issachar is the fifth largest tribe among the tribes. Verse 30, from the children of Zebulun, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war. And again, the wording is identical to verse 24. Verse 31, those who were numbered of the tribe of Zebulun were 57,400. Zebulun is the fourth largest among the tribes. Verse 32, from the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house. According, Do you know that I practice this out loud every single day? I practice it eight times a week, every sermon. And I've had to say every one of these things eight times. I want you to know that. Don't feel bad for me. I've enjoyed every single minute of it. This is God's word and I absolutely love it. But I want you to know that I practice this. Hideko has had to listen to this every morning, taking out the dogs, taking out the dogs, walking in and hearing me repeat the same thing except the name every single day for eight days. Absolutely wonderful wife to put up with me. We'll start again with verse 32. From the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war. Now a change in wording takes place as the tribe of Joseph is divided among his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Other than that, the words are identical to verse 24. The younger Ephraim is mentioned first, having received the greater blessing from Jacob. Ephraim will be the lead tribe to the west side of the tabernacle. He will be joined with Manasseh and Benjamin. All are descendants of Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife. Verse 33, those who are numbered of the tribe of Ephraim were 40,500. And indeed, his numbers are greater than those of his brother Manasseh. Ephraim is the tenth in size among the tribes of Israel. Verse 34, from the children of Manasseh, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war. The wording is identical to verse 24 once again. Verse 35, those who are numbered of the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200. Manasseh is the smallest of the 12 tribes. Verse 36, from the children of Benjamin, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war. 
the pattern of verse 24 continues word for word here. Verse 37, those who were numbered of the tribe of Benjamin were 35,400. Benjamin is the 11th in size among the tribes. Thus, the three smallest tribes, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, are all located together on the west side of the tabernacle. Why would that be? Verse 38, from the children of Dan, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war. Again, the words are identical to verse 24. Dan will be the lead tribe on the north side of the tabernacle. He will be joined with Asher and Naphtali. Verse 39, those who are numbered of the tribe of Dan were 62,700. Dan is the second largest of the tribes. And as a curious, and I mean, these things always interest me. I love to see these patterns in the Bible. Very curious side note between Benjamin and Dan. Benjamin had more natural sons than any other son of Israel. He had 10 of his own children. And yet he is here listed as the second smallest tribe. Dan had the smallest number of natural sons, one. And yet he is listed here as the second largest tribe. Tell me that's not interesting. Verse 40, from the children of Asher, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war. And again, the pattern of the words from verse 24 is maintained. Verse 41, those who were numbered of the tribe of Asher were 41,500. Asher ranks number nine in size among the listed tribes. Verse 42, from the children of Naphtali, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war. Jay has been nodding his head every time I've gone through that set of uh, verses. That's the last of them, though, so you don't have to do that anymore. So uh, where are we? This is the last record, and it continues the words of verse 24. Verse 43, those who were numbered of the tribe of Naphtali were 53,400. The last named tribe of Naphtali is six in size among the tribes. Verse 44, these are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. This verse, though seemingly unnecessary, is similar to what is recorded after the building of the tabernacle. Detailed instructions were given first for its construction. You remember that in Exodus? You're going to do this. You're going to build this. You're going to use these materials. And he went through these very detailed instructions. Next came the lengthy details of its construction. Bezalel and Aholiab did this, and the people brought this, and they put together this, and they built that. Everything was exactly repeated, showing obedience, right? It showed the exacting adherence to the instructions given. This showed that what was instructed was then accurately followed through with. After that, a statement acknowledging the accomplishment of the act was given. The same is true here. Thus, we could term this an obedience verse. In order to see this, we can put the command given in verses 3 and 4, and then the follow-through given in this verse side by side. Here's verses 3 and 4. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies, and with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. And then this verse, these are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. You have the command, you have the statement of obedience to the command. Everything associated with the tabernacle is given minute instruction. It is then followed up with an account of the work done, and then it is finished up with a statement showing exact obedience to the original command. Verse 45, why would that be? Does anybody remember all of the pictures of Christ in, in uh, Exodus? 
We're still working with the same people in the same tabernacle. We are seeing Jesus Christ revealed. It may be lengthy, it may be tedious, but every single word of this is pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Verse 45, So all who are numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. The thought here is that a totaling of the numbers acquired by each of the leaders was then presented to Moses and Aaron, who took those numbers and added them up. In this verse 46, all who were numbered were 603,550. The number is exactly the same as the number which was given in Exodus 38, verse 26, when a half shekel tax was imposed on each man who was 20 and above. The silver was used for the sockets of the sanctuary, the bases of the veil, the hooks for the pillars, the overlay of the capitals, and the bands for them. Before I go on, does anybody remember what silver in the Bible pictures? It's always consistent. It never changes. It begins with R and ends with redemption. Anybody? Redemption. Thank you. What seems obvious is that the numbers were rounded up or down to the nearest hundred, except for Gad, who rounded to the nearest ten. Likewise, in both Exodus 12 and Numbers 11, the total number of men is simply rounded to 600,000. The rounding to tens is something which is noted in Exodus 18.21 if you want to go read that. A great and vast array is set for war. The armies are arranged for when the time comes. But even with a handful, we could defeat countless more. Our defender is with us at the sound of battle drums. We are the Lord's army. We are battle ready. If we all go as one or if only a portion engages the foe, we shall prevail. Our ranks are sound and steady. The Lord is with us whenever to battle we go. He is our leader. We shall never quake in fear. No army can defeat us when we trust the Lord. His name is great, famous both far and near. We stand at the ready as he draws forth his sword. Does anybody remember the story of Gideon? 300 men against an army of over 135,000 men, and they prevailed. 120,000 of them were destroyed on that same day because the Lord was with them. Our second thought today, charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. It's verses 47 through 54. I'm so excited. I know these verses seem tedious, but they're so exciting. They're so marvelous in what they reveal as we continue through the book and we get into Deuteronomy and think, oh, those laws, are, everything points to Jesus. It's the point of it. If you keep saying that to yourself, if you're listening to your audio Bible in the car and you say, I just want to know about Jesus. You know, I was listening. Before we go on to this second thought, I was listening this morning to that. And we came to the, the one of Lot sleeping with his two daughters in the cave. Remember that? And I explained what that was about. And everybody's always saying it's a... a tale of morality and not to sleep with your parents and how bad Moab and Ben-Ami are. And I told you during that sermon that had absolutely nothing to do with it. Zero. That's not why the Lord put that in his word. It's because the daughter whose son came from Moab was an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Remember, Ruth was a Moabite and she became in the line of Jesus. And then the daughter whose son was Ben-Ami was an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Remember that Solomon's son, Rehoboam, married an Ammonite and he is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That was to lead to Jesus. And guess what their names mean? Moab, from father. Jesus is the one from the father. Ben-Ami, son of my people. 
Okay, Jesus is the son of my people. Everything points to Jesus Christ. I didn't even think of that until this morning. The two names themselves point to Jesus. Every time you listen to the word, you're going to get something more out of it. You're going to get some glory revealed to you. If you just take the time and listen to it or read it or meditate on it, he will fill your mind with it. Verse 47, but the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. What appears to be the case from these words is that the counting which was noted in Exodus 38 is the same census that is being referred to here. This would seem likely, and it is, from the previous verse, because both recorded the same number. But this verse adds more weight to that. The Levites are not counted in this census at all. If all men were counted in the previous census, but now no Levites were counted, there would be a great disparity between the two numbers. This is because the first census said nothing about not counting the Levites. What this means is that the silver collected in the census is applied retroactively to the construction of the implements used in the tabernacle. That's a theological point that we'll get to someday. Though those things were already made and the tabernacle was already standing, the silver for them is reckoned based on the census, which has now come sometime later. Verse 48, for the Lord had spoken to Moses saying, with very few exceptions, translations read this verse in the past tense. And yet it is the exact same words which we have heard hundreds of times so far. Vedeber Yehovah el Moshe lemor that are elsewhere translated as, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, putting this in the past tense is simply wrong. Nothing has yet been said in the Bible about what will next be said. If yours has it in the past tense, make a note that it is likely in the present tense. The formal appointment of the Levites for their special service is now to be made. The Lord first directed the counting of the 12 tribes as noted by name. He will now show why he did not name anyone from Levi. That begins with verse 49. Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. The Lord specifically commanded by name the leaders of the other tribes, and the census was required. Now he specifically commands that Levi is not to be numbered. The census was one for war capability. Levi is to be exempt from this requirement. They will be employed in another type of war, and they, as a tribe, will serve an entirely different purpose. Verse 50, but you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony. The Levites' job was not to go out to war, but to care for the tabernacle of the testimony. This would include its defense. Thus, they are the last defense in a war, but they were also the permanent protectors of it, even when there was no war. Here the edifice is called Mishkan Ha'edut, or Tabernacle of the Testimony, for only the second time in Scripture. It signifies the dwelling place of the testimony, meaning the two tablets which are contained in the Ark of the Covenant. Does everybody remember that picturing Jesus, the Ark? Every piece of material, the shittim wood is his humanity. It's incorruptible. The gold is his deity. The shape of the Ark, the, the poles carrying the Ark, the four rings on the Ark, everything pointed to something about Jesus. The four rings are the four Gospels. The two poles are the two Testaments carrying Christ. And inside of that Ark are the two tablets of the testimony. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the law. That's why it says in Colossians 2 verse 14 that the law was nailed to the cross. 
Well, the law wasn't nailed to the cross. Christ was nailed to the cross. But because he embodies the law, the picture is him fulfilling that law and dying. The law dies with him. Every single thing points to Jesus Christ. So it is the tabernacle of the testimony. It signifies the dwelling of the place of the testimony, meaning the two tablets contained within the ark. Levi means attached. They are now attached to the sanctuary in a unique and particular way. Their care of it will extend, verse 50 continues, over all its furnishings and over all things that belong to it. Everything associated with the sanctuary, from tent peg to the ark itself, was to be cared for by the tribe of Levi. This would include being responsible for it as it was taken down, moved, and set up. Verse 50 continues, they shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. Some things could be carried on wagons. Some things were so holy that they had to be carried by men with the use of poles on their shoulders. But all items of the tabernacle had to be carried solely by the Levites. When it was not being transported, verse 50 continues, they shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. The Levites were to be an honor guard around the tabernacle, and they were to ensure that it was always in perfect condition. Anything that needed care or repair was to be tended to. Anything which required regular service was their responsibility alone. Verse 51, And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The taking down and setting up of the tabernacle would be a large, large task. The materials were exceedingly heavy. They were specially designed to fit together in a particular order, and they were not to be carelessly rolled up and then unrolled and slapped together. They were to be handled with the greatest of care. If anyone has ever watched the work of putting together a circus tent, you know the labor is intense, it is laborious, and it is precise. In the case of the tabernacle, it is the same but a special dignity was to be given to the process. This special job now belonged to Levi and only to Levi. Verse 51 continues, The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. The zur, or outsider, signifies another. Thus it is referring to anyone other than Levi. Those of other tribes could only approach in accord with the regulations already provided. Anytime you approached the sanctuary, you had something with you. What was it? You had a sacrifice. You never approached the Lord without a sacrifice. Another picture of Jesus Christ. We do not come to God through our own efforts. We do not come to God through our best friend. We do not come to God in any other way than through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Any infraction outside of what is granted for the conduct of the sacrificial system was to be handled via execution. Levi had already proven himself faithful to handle a sword. He and his brother Simeon used the sword to kill an entire town of men who had defiled their sister Dinah. Right? Remember that one? And then in Exodus 32, it was the Levites who strapped swords onto their sides and went throughout the camp of Israel, slaying each, his brother, his companion, his neighbor, during the offense of the golden calf. They would now be expected to demonstrate that same loyalty at all times henceforth. To fail in this calling would be worse than the failures of the armies of Israel in battle because it would show contempt for the very sanctuary of the Lord. Verse 52, the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. From this, it is obvious that there was to be a specific arrangement of the tribes, not just a haphazard encampment, but a purposeful layout. 
There would be tents formed into camps. These would be according to a standard which was to be on display, and these would then signify their armies as already defined by the census. Then this is a new word, degel, or standard. It will be seen 13 times in the book of Numbers and once in the book of the Song of Solomon in a particularly beautiful verse. It comes from the verb degal, which signifies raising a flag and thus to be conspicuous. Chapter 2 will leave us with the impression that there are but four main standards, one for each of the four main tribes, Judah, Reuben, Ephraim, and Dan. Nothing explicit is given to describe these flags, but logical conclusions about what each division signified can be made from elsewhere in Scripture. Coming soon to a sermon near you, okay? That will be presented to you and your itchy ears eventually. (laughs) Verse 53, but the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony. The Levites' encampment is now explicitly stated. They are to encamp immediately around the tabernacle of the testimony. Once again, the focus is on the testimony, the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Testimony, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. They are encamping around him. It is not yet stated how they will be laid out, just that they are to be the inner protection of the entire encampment and for the tabernacle itself. Again, As was done in verse 50, the stress is on the testimony, the tablets of the law. And there is a reason for this. Verse 53 continues that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. A new noun, ketsef, signifying the state of indignation or wrath is introduced. The Levites were to be the guard of the tabernacle for a specific reason. If there was a breakthrough, wrath would come upon the congregation. The word negef or plague is used in Numbers 8 verse 19 in the same manner as ketsef is used here. Understanding this, we will now look at a rather complicated matter, which takes us back to the ransom money mentioned in Exodus 13 verse 12 and how we can know that the census mentioned there is the same census mentioned here. Here's what it says in Exodus 13. When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number... Then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. The plague, which is a result of the wrath, was to be stayed by the payment of a ransom. In the taking of this census, each man counted was to give a ransom for himself. Now this seems odd because the people had already been redeemed by the Lord. That happened in the Exodus. Afterward, we read these words from the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. So they have been redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The noun kofar or ransom comes from the verb kafar, which means to appease. It is then a covering and thus figuratively a redemption price. The required ransom payment is tied in with the numbering of the people. Its intent was to impress upon the hearts and the minds of the people that they are actually unworthy to be a part of this holy congregation. Because of this, they would need to pay a covering for that unworthiness. The Lord had redeemed them in a state of unworthiness, and now, before they set out, they were to pay a ransom for a personal acknowledgement of that redemption. When the ransom is paid in the eyes of the Lord, it would be as if their unworthiness no longer existed, and thus they would be kept safe from the justly deserved punishment of the righteous judge of mankind. 
with this covering, they could then come serve the Lord without any fear of danger. But this service did not include that which was reserved for the Levites. How the Levites will be set apart for their duties is yet ahead in numbers, but that they will be is alluded to now. They alone had the charge of the tabernacle. For those in the census, though, the paying of the ransom is directly tied into the idea of being saved from a plague. The word negef, or plague, which can be expected for disobedience, was first seen in Exodus chapter 12 with these words. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, this is speaking of the Passover, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague, the negef, shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. There is a direct connection between the shedding of the blood of the lamb and the ransom payment of silver for the men in the census. Everybody remember those pictures of Jesus in those sermons? He is our atonement. He is our ransom. He is everything. He is our all in all. One logically follows along with the other, redemption and ransom. The terms, though similar in meaning, do differ. Redemption is wider in its application than ransom. The noun negef, or plague, is used just seven times in the Bible, and all of them are in relation to the people of Israel. The final time is in Isaiah chapter 8, where it is ascribed directly to the Lord in relation to them. Here's what it says. He will be as a sanctuary... But a stone of stumbling, that word negef, and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This verse from Isaiah is then used by Paul when speaking of Christ in Romans chapter 9, and by Peter also speaking of Christ in 1 Peter chapter 2. In essence, Christ became the very plague upon Israel that the blood of the Lamb and the ransom money was to protect them from. In their rejection of him, they rejected what these types and shadows only pictured. The wrath and the plague are united together in one account concerning rebellion in Numbers chapter 16, a very scary chapter coming soon to a sermon near you. Verse 53 continues, and the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. The word mishmeret, or charge, was also used in Leviticus 8 verse 35 during the ordination of Aaron and his sons. It indicates to keep watch or to guard. Thus, it is the watch of the Lord. If they failed to keep the watch of the Lord during their ordination, they would have died. The Levites are to be given the watch of the Lord, which, if violated, would also result in death. There is the sense of holiness, which is not to be violated. It is a somber warning, which will require proof of the Lord's word when a challenge is made. The outcome is obvious. Bad news for the offenders. Verse 54 finishes us today. Thus the children of Israel did, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. As I said earlier, like the giving of the instructions for the making of the sanctuary, and then the details of its construction, things are stated to show a logical process. Command, execution, and then acknowledgement of what has been done. This is now how our first chapter of Numbers closes out. To show how consistent this is, we can refer to the final statement concerning the work of the tabernacle. First, I'm going to read you this verse again, then I'm going to read you the finished work of the tabernacle. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. Here's what it says back in Exodus 39. 
according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it and Moses blessed them. As we think on the things we've learned so far in numbers, just imagine these were real people who really counted up their numbers for preparing the army of the Lord. They really encamped around his tabernacle and the events that have happened and that will come to pass actually occurred. They were being used as living units of a spiritual picture of God working in human history. We saw a taste of that today. After all the counting and numbering, we saw how a segment of it actually pointed to Christ Jesus. This will continue all the way through the book as God reveals his love for his creatures in types, shadows, and pictures of the coming of his son. In the end, this seemingly disjointed book falls into perfect alignment when we realize this. As God has put so much attention, literally thousands and thousands of years of detail into the compilation of this treasure, it should indicate to us that we had better get the obvious part correct. As everything points to Jesus, we need to respond to Jesus. So before we close today, I'd like to tell you once again how we can and how you can. The Bible focuses on Jesus because he is the center. He is the focal point of all of human history. At the beginning, man was created. He did not evolve. He was created by a loving God who gave him a wonderful place to dwell in, to worship and serve him as their creator. And they rebelled against him. They violated the only commandment, just one, only commandment that he had given them. And he had to expel them from the Garden of Eden. Why? Because the tree of life was there in its midst as well. And if they had eaten of that, they would have lived forever, it said. Imagine that, an infinitely wicked person because he's forever getting more wicked. God was merciful. He wasn't cruel when he kicked him out of the Garden of Eden. He was merciful to them. And from there, the story goes all the way through the Bible, showing us the failings of man, the love of God, calling them back to himself, saving a group of people, which he didn't have to do at the flood of Noah. He could have just wiped out the whole earth and started again. Instead, he saved eight through the flood. And then he gave them the law, his perfect law, his standard. And he said, the man who can do these things will live by them. And the Bible goes on to show us that not one single person is able to do those things. How do we know that? Because there's not a single Israelite that's lived forever. They've all died. Every one of them recorded in this book are all in the grave, all worn back down to the dust that they came from, with one exception. That's Jesus Christ, who he, God himself, stepped into the stream of humanity, born of a woman. So he's not born with Adam's sin nature, but he's a human nonetheless. He's fully man, and yet he's fully God because his father is God. And he lived under that law perfectly, the life that you and I could never live. We're all destined to die because of sin, but he did not sin. And yet he died, didn't he? He died for our sin. It's the doctrine of substitution, which is allowed under the law of Moses. Here's a perfect, innocent animal. I'm going to transfer my sin to that animal. I'm going to kill it. And God is going to accept that in my place. It was a picture of the Christ to come. The perfect, innocent lamb of God gave his life up willingly so that we could have life once again. This is the story of the Bible. And praise God, he came out of the grave proving he had no sin of his own, so he was qualified to take away our sin. And he did take away our sin if we simply receive it. All who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. We are sons of God through adoption because of the work of Jesus Christ. Please, if you have never done it, 
Don't listen to these theologians that say that the Bible is a bunch of myths or it's written by a bunch of people or that it condones license and immorality. None of those things are true. The Bible is the sacred word of God showing us his love for us, each and every one of us, and you have a choice to make. Today is the day of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. We don't know when our day is going to end. So please, if you've never just simply asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, call on him today. Be reconciled to God through his shed blood, and you will be granted eternal life. Not something dubious, like if I mess up again, I'm going to lose my salvation. Your life is now eternal. It is forever. That's with a four, okay? Forever. Please call on Jesus. Our closing verse comes from Numbers. Oh, the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Why? Because he's never going to end. Israel is forever. Next week is Numbers 2, 1 through 34. In getting their position around the tabernacle, there was no paying of bribes. It's entitled, The Layout of the Tribes. That'll be our third number sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in a desert wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him. That's the main thing today. Trust him. It's easy to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but are you trusting him as you do follow him? If you do, he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay. Got a little bit of a long poem, but it goes really quickly. <laughs> Men of war, offense and defense. Now the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their families, by their father's houses too, according to the number of names, every male individually in this list of who's who, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Reuben, so the record said, were 46,500. From the children of Simeon, their genealogies by their families, by their father's houses too, of those who were numbered according to the number of names, every male individually in this list of who's who. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof, those who were numbered of the tribe of Simeon, so the record said, are 59,300. From the children of Gad, their genealogies by their families, small and great, by their father's house, according to the number of names, as the record does state. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof, those who were numbered of the tribe of Gad, a result which rhymes with thrifty, were 45,650. From the children of... Yeah, I had to get something, guys. From the children of Judah, their genealogies by their families, small and great, by their father's house, according to the number of names, as the record does state. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Judah, so the record said, were 74,600. From the children of Issachar, their genealogies by their families, small and great, by their father's house, according to the number of names, as the record does state. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Issachar, so the record said, were 54,400. From the children of Zebulun, their genealogies by their families, small and great, by their father's house, according to the number of names, as the record does state, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Zebulun, so the record said, were 57,000. 
7,400. From the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, their genealogies by their families, small and great, by their father's house, according to the number of names, as the record does state. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Ephraim, so the record said, were 40,500. From the children of Manasseh, their genealogies by their families, small and great, by their father's house, according to the number of names, as the record does state. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Manasseh, so the record said, were 32,200. From the children of Benjamin, their genealogies by their families, small and great, by their father's house, according to the number of names, as the record does state. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Benjamin, so the record said, were 35,400. From the children of Dan, their genealogies by their families, small and great, by their father's house, according to the number of names, as the record does state. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Dan, so the record said, were 62,700. From the children of Asher, their genealogies by their families, small and great, by their father's house, according to the number of names, as the record does state. From 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Asher, so the record said, were 41,500. The children of Naphtali, our last one, their genealogies by their families, small and great, by their father's house, according to the number of names, as the record does state, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war thereof. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Naphtali, so the record said, were 53,400. These are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered there and then, with the leaders of Israel, each one representing his father's house. 12 men. So all who are numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses, so the account does tell, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. All who are numbered came to a total rhyming with thrifty. They were 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, so he did tell, only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all the things that belong to it, so shall it be. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, so this task they shall tackle. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down, so they shall do. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up as I have instructed you. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death, so that all others shall fear. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies, their designation stamp. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony, as to you I tell. Thus the children of Israel did, as stated, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they did as he related. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness, and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives, they would be a mess. And so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily it apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for this marvelous, marvelous book of Numbers. It's, it, it seems when we read it by ourselves and we don't think through what's going on, it seems like, why do I need to do this? I'm going to quit reading the Bible because I can see the rest of the Bible is going to be like this. And in fact, we find out that it's not the case. It's very exciting. It's got all kinds of details which are intriguing, which are fascinating, which stimulate our minds to wanting to know more. And when we get to the next book, it'll seem like a burden and a chore until we get into it. And then it'll be, oh, this is so wonderful because your word is a treasure. It's a delight. It's food for our soul, and it's, it's water on a hot day to us. Thank you for your precious word. Lord, we certainly pray for Bob, who's up there uh, still facing his recovering from a stroke, and we pray for Darla. We pray that she'll be out of her uh, facility tomorrow and back home in familiar uh, environment, and please continue to heal both of them until they're to full steam once again. And anybody else that's in this congregation, whether here or who watches online or even a year from now, if there's somebody that's watching that is afflicted in their body, please be with them. Help them through it. Give them healing and give them your strength and your grace as they face you and uh, their life until the day that you come for them. Lord, we thank you for the chance to pray to you. We thank you for this precious word. We love you and we praise you and we exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen.